0: Welcome to episode 21 of Cyberbytes, the podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Asperon Search. This week's guest, we have Liran Takman, CEO of Resilient. Liran has a really unique background, having joined the Military Intelligence Unit in Israel in a non-cyber role and then studying brain science at university. He's now on his second cybersecurity startup, having had a successful exit to PayPal in just 15 months with CyActive let's dive straight in how are you mate i'm great thank you Good, good where uh where are you in the world i know you're between israel and new york but where are you right now Yeah, right now in
1: uh in manhattan you are in new york
0: yeah yeah Yeah, nice when did you actually sort of get a place out there
1: Oh, like uh, earlier this year in september we moved with the kids and uh, uh you know after uh company you know got more traction more customers more people to manage in the u.s and i found myself living in israel but in the u.s time zone so i figured that would be nice to to work and live on the same time zone and, and you know also be available for my my family as well as my my you know yeah. work so that's
0: it. yeah nice so how are you finding it so far obviously it's a uh, slightly different to, to israel
1: well yeah it's different it is but also you know we we've I've been here so many times. We have offices here in New York City. Um, And honestly, if there is, you know, there is plenty of everything in New York, but one of those things there is plenty of is Israeli entrepreneurs. Uh, Absolutely. So it's not like, I I don't feel too lonely.
0: Got a lot of friends there already. Well, great. Um, Well, Liran, thanks for coming on, brother. Um, With all my guests, I'll take it right back to sort of where it all began and uh, how you got into security, mate.
1: Well, it's a good story. You know, a a lot of the... uh, Entrepreneurs in cybersecurity, I think they're the more classic story than I have. Uh, Like many other Israelis, you know, just like if you're American, what defines you is where you went to college. For us in Israel, it's the military. Right, there is mandatory uh, service and, and, you know, you're 18 and that's really where, you know, you'll become an adult, right? So I I was in intelligence, actually didn't start in cyber, uh, analyst strategy, operational intelligence, strategic intelligence moved up the ranks, uh, became an officer a few years there, and really ran strategy operations. Things are very relevant, by the way, today as CEO, but not necessarily cyber connected. Um, After a few years of service, I left the military, did my BSc in brain science, um, worked as an analyst for a few firms, you know, um, and then got called back as a civilian to help help create the Israeli Cyber Command, right? the understanding was that, like what's happening in the U.S. at the time, that cyber is another domain. And since I know operations and I know strategy, maybe it can help. And that's how I got to cyber. So I actually moved from strategy and operations to doing the same thing, strategy and operations for, for cyber. And um, that's how I got to cyber. This is where I met my co-founder, Shlomi Otnavo, who was my co-founder. My first company is also, also now in, my, in our second company and I think the best story about how it all began, our first company was called Psyactive, and we were doing predictive uh, malware detection. And, you know, at the time I was, uh, the plan was to do a PhD in brain science. And, um, and you know, so I was consulting a little bit uh, the Israeli government and I was uh, working in a laboratory, a brain science laboratory, and I uh, just got married. And they came back uh, and my wife said, you know, you look pretty bored. Uh, with this PhD thing, why, why are you doing that? And I said, well, because one day I will do a startup that there will be a PhD. So he said, well, what are you doing now? And, you know, we were both very young. None of us came, came for, for from Fortune. So it was a good time to do it before we had kids. She, she had a pretty stable work. And she said, okay, you know, you're going to do your first company, probably it's going to fail, but you will learn something. <laughs> and, um, and we started to look for ideas, right? Yeah. And, and I would come back home and tell her about, you know, some algorithms I encountered in the university, in the lab, and also, but things that happened today at work with the government. And I kept telling her about, about how we were trying to catch attackers, but they were mutating their tools, right? And then one day I came back from the lab and I told her, you know, I I, I saw this genetic algorithm and it, it can predict mutations. And a few days later, she was like, "Liran, you're, you're, you're not very smart. And I said, why? Well, because you keep complaining about attackers mutating their tools. And you told me two days ago, about oh, this algorithm that can predict mutations and maybe you can combine them. You didn't think about it. and you say, you know what? That's not a bad idea. And that's how the idea for our first company, CyActive. It was later acquired by PayPal. That's how the idea, uh, you know, kind of was born. And then I went to Shlomi, um, co-founder, with significantly more technical and hands-on than me. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know what? It could actually work." And we built the first prototype, and that's how it all began.
0: Amazing. And then, when did the the exit with PayPal? or How did that come about? Because it was quite soon that you. Uh...
1: Yeah, it was it was fifteen months. For fifteen months, um, very quick. We raised. Uh, I guess at the time it was seed, not probably someone would call it pre-pre-seed, I don't know, it was $2 million total. Um, and 15 months later, we sold for, for a healthy amount, you can read in the
0: yeah, website, yeah, yeah.
1: the newspapers. And, and really PayPal came to us, right? Like I think PayPal was trying uh, just, just as a spun off uh, from eBay. And they understood that one of the reasons to use PayPal is because it's safer, right? And they wanted to have a, an edge on cybersecurity, just like they have an edge on, for example, fraud detection, right? Um, and that's how they got to us.
0: Awesome. So 15 months, that's just insane, really, when you think about it. Um,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, there was like a crash course in entrepreneurship, everything from fundraising, <laughs> building your product, doing your first sales, negotiating an m a selling a company, all of that kind of squeeze that was uh, <clears throat> it was pretty intense.
0: Well, I hope you gave uh, your wife some some uh, a cut with her coming up with the idea. Basically, actually, she
1: took care of that as well. She has a foundation uh, called the Bria Foundation. They do advocacy on women's right and gender inequality in the healthcare system. And the deal was when we started the company, and if it works, she's going to get a cut to start this as she did. Oh, uh, so, so not only she got it, she you know she also took care. She she, she took care of it in advance, like in the in the.
0: Level Even woman. before the company started yeah yeah. So. yeah i love that cool cool so exited exit to paypal um obviously you know shalom from before what made you do another startup
1: <laughs> you know I was um i i learned music for many years i was like a violin player for like since what six years old 18 years old i was pretty really good at it and then you know time came where I had to choose am I going to be a career musician am I going to go to the you know the intelligence the military and my violin teacher told me you know being a musician is a really really difficult career you should only do it if you can't do anything else like if it's the only thing you can imagine yourself doing it. and you know I went to intelligence <laughs> and uh, the and I think entrepreneurship is the same thing so you know I saw my first company and I said okay well I can I be a corporate executive? And then I found out that I'm better and enjoy more being an entrepreneur. And then I said, well, you know, I I, I can be a scholar. So I went to university, could I get back to this investment degree and I, I got bored, right? Because when you compare it to this roller coaster, it's I know, not, not, not as exciting. And then I said, okay, I will be an investor. And then, you know, a good investor knows that he's not an entrepreneur, he's not an executive, right? A good investor, they ask good question, but they don't tell entrepreneurs what to do. Well, it's kind of a problem if you're an entrepreneur who likes, you know, deciding what to do. So I was frustrated. So I, you know, just like my violin teacher once told me, I, I couldn't see anything else um, to do. And, and that was, you know, it's, so I, I don't think you do it for the money because there are better ways to make money. And I don't think you do it um, for the prestige because you already have prestige, Right. Um, but I really think you do it because that's the only thing you can do, right? You, 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 if, you, if, you, if you like building things, if you like building companies, yep. um, then doing anything else may be difficult. Um, and that that's why I did this for the second time because I couldn't do anything else. Yeah,
0: I love that, love that. People talk about like product market fit all the time, but I'm reading a book at the moment by Will Lin. Um, he was one of the VCs at ForgePoint. He's currently in stealth at the moment. And he's got a book called uh, The VC Field Guide. And he talks about founding team fit before okay. before product team fit. And he talks about how he looks at the different founders and the team that are the founding team. You've decided to found with somebody, you know, and what what made you obviously you knew it was going to work. But is that why you went with him again? Like what, what was that? How did that decision come about?
1: Oh, for the, the first time or the second
0: time? The second time, yes. Yeah. So you went again with Shalom, right? You, you've done the same. So Shalom, with-
1: yeah. No, it's... it's um. The first time was much more of a gamble, right? Not about him, about me. I was the first... Like, I think when we started our first company, it was clear Shalom is going to be a phenomenal CTO. He's one of the most accomplished, best cybersecurity people probably in the world. Um, and he is being... You know, it's kind of a legend locally mm. in Israel. And... Better be kind of cybersecurity CTO for PayPal. He there's no doubt. He do, the, the question was me, can I be CEO, right? I was never a CEO before. And so I think the first time was more slowly gambling on me <laughs> than me making a, a bet on him. And really, when we started the company with our investors, we agreed that after six months, we, we will reevaluate if I can be a good CEO or not. And I think it's a very wise thing to do for all founders, first time. Like you need, you need to be, to have enough self, like you don't let your ego play too much. You me to admit that if you're doing something for the first time, it's good to have a checkpoint. Uh, so I was an okay CEO back then and 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 continued. And the second time was just, it's so difficult to find people who have intact integrity you get along with, who knows all the things you don't know. Right, so Shlomis are, I know tech pretty well, but you know so much more than me. And then Shlomi also knows business. Like he is one of those people who can be with customers, ask difficult questions at the board meeting. So there was enough. Um, you know, we have almost blind we have blind trust mm-hmm. at each other, right? Like I never asked myself, you know, what is Shlomi doing? Like <laughs> and it's important. And it's important because because, you know, it's complex world, boards, investors, etc. So you really need to be able to trust. Your co-founder blindly, which which is the case with Xiaomi, and 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 going for this roller coaster together, it was very clear that was the case the first time. And then the second thing is that there was enough it was a healthy combination of we each ha- we were each good at their thing, mm-hmm. but also we had a little bit of overlap so we can talk about what we're doing. So it's not lonely, right? And that's a very rare combination, right? So if you found someone like that, who is, you know one of the best of the world in what in the, on the world one of the best in the world in what it does you have blind trust and there is a healthy mix of you know control plus independence on each. yeah I mean that's it, it was, it was it, I didn't even think about it to be honest just yeah, really, yeah, yeah,
0: really yeah. It. Yeah. Wow, yeah, amazing. that's definitely a golden nugget. Um, yeah love yeah. that so finding the right the right co-founder. Seems like you yep. fell on fell on your feet with that. Um, should we talk about resilient? Like, yeah, talk to me a little bit about the the current startup that you're putting putting on. What what you guys doing there? And yeah, talk, tell me more.
1: Yeah. So, so look, the, you know, the, the fundamental thing we believe in in resilient that kind of led us to to build this company is that way too much time is being spent on cybersecurity, and specifically on securing software. Right. Like, This is what drove. Us to to create this company because if you think of our previous company, we were finding problems, right? Like all the other cybersecurity companies. And when we got to PayPal, we found out, oh man, like there are too many tools, too many problems, too many things. Like, what are we going to create more problems that no one is going to fix? So really, the mission was how do you reduce the backlog, not make it bigger, and. The, now, specifically in Resilient, what we do, we are, as I mentioned, the business of software security, securing software, which is a pretty hot topic these days, right? Software supply chain security, software build materials, vulnerability management, etc. And really what we do that is unique is that we give you, takes five minutes to deploy, you get end-to-end visibility to all the software that you have, that you're using in your development environment, that you're using in the product you're deploying. The products you're deploying are also big. So full software bill of materials so that the next log4j, you can just go to your dashboard, click log4j and immediately see where you have it. And that's one thing, right? Very easily without agents, you can understand what you have and where, on-prem, cloud, dev, production, IoT, full visibility. The second thing is that we not only tell you what you have, we map all the risks associated with it. So we can be a scanner, but we also plug to other scanners Right? Um, everything from your SAF, your SEA, your container, um, your infrastructure scanner, all of those scanners we bring them in. And again, we can also be your SCA, right? So we can be your scanner, we can also bring everything to the same place. And then the one thing that really makes us unique is that we not only tell you what you have, we're not only tell you what's the risk, we show you you don't have to fix 85% of the problems associated because we can tell you in runtime what's actually used, what's actually executed, what's actually exploitable, versus what's theoretically there, right? So we start by showing you everything you have, then we show you don't have to fix 85% of it. And for the remaining 15%, we tell you how to fix it, what is the lowest cost fix you can do, we help you orchestrate it, creating merge requests for developers, tickets. So it's an end-to-end platform that with a fraction of the effort, gives you total visibility, but then also really, really laser focused and helps you fix what matters, right? So that's how we save time.
0: Love that. Well, so, um, how long have you been going now?
1: Uh, three and a half. So three and a half. Years. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you mentioned Log4j. So that was that happened as you as were in occupation. So did you guys um, get onto that pretty quickly?
1: Oh well, yeah, it, it's uh, there, there are two things that if you think about software supply chain security, there are a few things that happened during those years that really made it a category. Uh, one is log for J, second is solo wind bridge, solar right? So log for J, yeah. So so really, log for J showed you that you need to be able to to quickly identify where you have what, and also honestly, just knowing where log for J is is nice. But if if you have to fix a thousand things, it's difficult knowing exactly where you need to fix. is also very important. Um, number two is solo winds, which exemplify that software supply chain is a source of potential not only vulnerabilities, but malicious code, and you really need to be able to understand not only what you have, but where it came from, what it's doing, et cetera. And number three was, which kind of was propelled by the two things, is the regulation, the executive order, um, the latest regulations, both from FDA, et cetera, that really made it a requirement. And we're seeing, you know, three years ago, we are talking to people about S-bombs and, with, oh, what is this? Hmm. It wasn't even called s bomb. I mean, some people use the word, but we would call, you know, file inventory. Right. Yeah. Um, now you go to every significant, every major corporate, and they're figuring out how they have the last one requirements.
0: Yeah. Nice. What's um? What's SmartFix? I was reading on your website about smart Fix.
1: Ah. So remember, our mission is is uh, is to uh, reduce uh, the amount of time that is being uh, spent on cybersecurity, and so we started by showing you what you have to fix, right? So great. Now 85% of your backlog is done, but those fixes of 15% can be pretty painful, and specifically, it can be painful for developers and for DevOps, because what happens when you, when you upgrade a package, when you fix something, you may fix a security bug, but you actually not create problems operationally. You may break the build. You may, uh, you may create operational issues. So really, what you want to do is you want to understand what is the smallest change you can do, the smallest upgrade right that is not going to break the build, but is going to resolve security vulnerabilities and that's a smart fix a smart fix is us telling our customers not only what they have to fix but also what is the minimal fix they have to do to get rid of those vulnerabilities that are actually exploitable and minimizing the risk that will actually break something and it also goes to reducing the tension between developers and security
0: you mentioned like um supply chain security what would what do you think the future is for that it's obviously it's 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 everywhere at the moment all over rsa it's probably black cat again yeah what was the future for for it
1: so it's interesting things that we were doing four years ago now we're seeing you know people think, oh we have a new innovation in the field and we're like okay fine like just read the patent it's public you can see uh but you know for four years ago the so these are three really big things. The first one is really think it, we call it SBOM 360. So not just vulnerabilities, but all the aspects of risk associated with software. So licensing, okay, that's another thing. Vulnerabilities, IOCs, so indication of compromise, reputation. Right? One thing we, we're adding these days to our platform is, do you have software that came from a repo where there, are low, where there is low security hygiene, mm-hmm. right? And another thing we're doing, we are now also bringing your SAS data, so your check mark, SonarCube, et cetera, into it. So really thinking about the SBOM bomb as a way to look 360 on a specific software, understanding all the vulnerabilities, or another thing we just added is end of life, are using software is no longer supported. So if there is a vulnerability, you wouldn't even know, right? So really thinking 360 about the risk. So that's number one. Number two is how do you get prioritization that is reliable, so runtime, us what thing but how do you do it you know seamlessly so we just launched last week I think it's the first ever runtime agentless right so you get visibility to what happened in runtime as if you had an agent right but you don't need to have an agent it's something that we do by basically forensic analysis post factum right so once the whatever the, the image we take a snapshot and we can reconstruct with forensics what's actually happened there. It's like you know getting to the party at the end and like Sherlock Holmes reconstructing what happened in the party. Um, so that's another part of the future, right? So one is 360, right? What is kind of uh how do you get a holistic view? Number two, how do you get this view, how do you get this prioritization, right? With being minimally intrusive. So really getting much better in acquiring the runtime signals uh, so that you don't so that you don't have to um um, so you don't have to deploy things that are intrusive. And the third thing which I think is interesting is thinking for the business process, right? So we have detection, prioritization, remediation, right? So SmartFix is a way of thinking about the future of remediation, but there are more things we could do, right? Like, can I help you? If you cannot fix a vulnerability, can, you give you, can I give you an interim patch? That it's not going to you know, uh, have any operational risk, but we'll buy you time. So thinking of more ways, to handle the risk, I think when it comes to discovery, you know, classic software composition analysis, I think this is completely commoditized, mm-hmm. right? I think that like just doing the, the 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 scanning, right, It's not interesting. What's interesting is how do I give you more context? How do I prioritize? How do I remediate better
0: Love that! Amazing, cool. What's the um, what's the future of resilience? Are you uh, going for acquisition again? Have you, are you, we close to it? <laughs>
1: Companies are not sold, they're acquired. It means you cannot plan for an acquisition. Um, I advise every fellow entrepreneur not to build a company to be acquired. You build a company to, uh, to serve its customers, to bring value to shareholders and to employees. And then when MA offers are coming, you need to look at them, each of them rationally, and doing your job as a CEO, maximizing returns for shareholders and stakeholders, which is a long way of saying, it's like we're focused on building a company, mm. and when something comes, we we judge it, right?
0: Love that. That's my uh, that's another golden nugget right there, Liran. Yeah, um, let's wrap this up. What um, what sort of challenges do you think you're going to come up with over the next sort of through the few years? What would you think uh, might hold you back?
1: So two things. First, I think there are a lot of point solutions now. In software supply chain security space, there's this company doing guest, another company doing prioritization, another company doing ASOC, another company doing ASPM, right? Like every day there's a new acronym and a new thing. But it's really one business problem. How do we know what software you use? How do you understand the risk? How do you prioritize this risk? How do you remediate it at scale? Right. It's one continuum. And one of the key challenges, how do you like we believe we have this end-to-end platform? The text prioritize remediates, right? Um, but how do you navigate this consolidation, right? How do you navigate the fact that eventually customers need one workflow, one solution for software supply chain security? If you, you can have many scanners, right? Again, I think the scanners are a commodity, but but customers will be looking to have one kind of pipeline, one machinery to handle the problem. And I think it's a product challenge is also a, a go-to-market challenge, right? How do, you, how do you handle the amount of noise of every day, there's like a new point solution, and you want to tell your customers, "Fine, yeah, it's very nice." But you actually already have that here, and, and really f- think about the end to end. Um, the the second challenge is just uh, scaling, right? Like it's um, it's hard, and you know the market is the market, and it's you not know, getting. You need to do it a bit efficiently, right? I think the kind of growth that maybe in the past was easier because if you just put money on it, and you can't know, <laughs> do that anymore. So efficient growth is is a challenge, not only for us, but for everyone.
0: Iran, thank you so much. That was a great episode. Wish you all the best of success with Brazilian. And uh, when I'm next out in New York, I'll uh, give you a buzz, mate.
1: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.